Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Me and Dan sat down last night and talked about morning sits. When we feel you can sit in the mornings and when we feel you shouldn't sit in the mornings, what to do if you're not going to hunt in the mornings. We just talk about all things morning hunting. Um, you guys are really going to like that. Then we got into a lot of questions. Before we start, let's talk about some of the sponsors I have for the show. If you're tired of spending money on trail cameras you use as tools only to find out they're built like freaking toys, or you've struggled with unreliable, not-so-dependable cameras or experienced customer service that flat-out disappointed you, I've been there. Those problems literally birthed Exodus eight years ago when they shipped their first camera. Exodus had a clear desire to not only build elite products that enabled you to set it and forget it all season long, but also to back them like no other company was willing to with an unmatched level of customer service and support. See for yourself why Exodus has over 15,000 satisfied customers. They've quickly become known for their five-year no BS warranty, quality cameras, and best in-class customer service. You heard that right. Exodus believes in their products so much, every single camera is backed by a five-year warranty that includes theft and accidental damage coverage. Each camera is checked for quality control standards before it leaves the warehouse. They wouldn't use it, you don't get it. Exodus is so confident you love your new Exodus camera. They're offering you, the listener of this show, 15% off your next order today. Just use code BTE. You don't love it, get your money refunded in the first 30 days and just send her back. Exodus really has two excellent cell cam options for uh, all budgets, and they start at just $179, plus you're 15% off there. You use the code BTE. They have competitive data plans that allows you to purchase a plan and use the data as you see fit. They want you to be in control. There's no annual commitment and no limit on how many cameras you can run on one plan. You can share cameras with friends, no charge, which makes the Exodus lineup a great option for hunting clubs and leases. There are no additional fees for HD photo requests. That's pretty nice. No additional fees for video uploads. And all cameras share data on a single data plan for easy management. See for yourself why so many have made the switch to Exodus and experienced the Exodus difference. Use code BTE to get 15% off your next order today. Now let's talk about Osseo gear. It's a great option for whitetail hunters. They develop a premium line of bow hunting gear that will rival any other clothing on the market in quality. Plus, you got a lifetime warranty on anything you buy from Osseo, which is pretty nice. They have a super unique camo pattern and great technology in their garments to keep you comfortable in the stand. So visit asiogear.com, get you some premium hunting clothing. Also, I want to talk about Hunting Beast Gear, makers of the Beast Stand and Beast Sticks, in my opinion, the best option for a mobile hunter that's looking to pound the public land or just hop around on your private land. I don't hardly worry about permanent stands anymore on the uh, few pieces of private I do have. I just use that Beast Stand and Sticks, and I got so good with putting it up, uh, taking it up and down, I really feel comfortable using it in any scenario whatsoever. You have it had the experience of getting your hands on a beast stand and trying it out for yourself go to beastgear.com get your pre-order in for the stand order you some sticks and become more deadly this deer season 
Speaking of deadly, got to talk to you about Stealth Outdoors, makers of Stealth Strips, which is a great addition to any beast stand that you're going to buy. Beast Sticks, it's a great addition for all kinds of stuff. I just put some on my bow the other day. Stealth Strips really are a, a product that any hunter, whether you're a weekend warrior or a guy that hunts almost every day, really needs to take advantage of. Stuff absolutely deadens your your gear uh, to make it essentially uh, noise free if you haven't checked out stealth strips yet stop buying all the other crappy alternatives like the hockey tape and any other stuff you're trying to use to silence your gear get the good stuff get stealth strips visit stealthoutdoors.com pick you up with stealth strips all my partners are linked in the description below go check them out Hey everybody! What's going on? Long time no see. A day, a day now. So, I <laughs> uh, hope everybody's doing good tonight. How's Dan doing? I'm alive. Good, good. Is it hot up there right now, or is it cooling off? It wasn't bad today. It actually felt like a storm was going to blow, but it never did. Mm-hmm. It was hot here today, but um, we were supposed to get a pop-up storm too, and we didn't. Which is seems like par for the course this summer. Um, other than the last few weeks, but there for a while it was pretty dry. Did uh, you hear anything? Any, any updates on the barn? I've gotten like several messages of people on updates on it. It's their favorite portion of our show right a, now. <laughs> about a month ago, um, the guy working on the barn said he'd have a com- his end of things completely done in two weeks. Yeah. So a month ago, he told me that, and I'm still waiting to hear back. Okay. So no updates, everybody. Yeah, I don't even think I want to get it done this year because now um, right. the, when he leaves, I mean, all I got to do is get a couple small things out of him, and he's done. But once he gets those done, I don't have enough time anymore to get the, you know, insulated, get the walls up, get the deer heads yeah. up, get everything organized. So um, it's going to be two years for this two-month project. Yeah. Yeah. When it gets done, though, we're going to have a big party. Invite everybody on here. They can all come. Throw darts at that contractor's uh, picture. Oh, yeah, yeah. We can do that. (laughs) Or AR bullets or something. (laughs) Come to an info Um, party. Wear a Keldler vest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Throw a lot of water Um, on stuff. Well, hopefully hopefully it all works out and you get, get it all done. But... Yeah, I'm beyond that. I just got to concentrate on hunting. Yeah, is what it is, right? Mm-hmm. Hunting is right around the corner. Yeah. September 1st is like, whatever, what, five, it's over five weeks away now. So it won't be. Yeah, I'm a little more uh, uncomfortable after um, the surprise sale of the farm because I've kind of lost my pacifier. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you'll be fine. Need, yeah, I know, I know. But, uh, it's a good uncomfortable to be in. Yeah. Because it makes me work harder. Yeah. I mean, think about last year. I, you didn't shoot any bucks. So those bucks that you shot, you didn't shoot any of them on. Yeah, I did the first one right in the neck. It was on Dave's? Yeah, that, that real big one. Yep. Oh. Yep. Never mind. You're screwed. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, oh, man, look at, look at, I'm, I'm, I'm on them now. I mean, I'm. Yeah. 
Yep. It's yep a, you will. You know, and I'm not, I'm not complaining at all. It's just, uh, I, I'm, I'm actually saying that it's kind of a good thing. It's going to make me, uh, it's going to push me harder. Yep. Yeah. Instead be of more. Me up, because what happens is it, it, um, between the farm and the uh, public is I get split up and I don't do as good a job on the public because of the private and I don't go to do a good enough job on the private because of the public, but I have to stay off of the private to keep it good. Yeah. For the time. So I, I kind of do good there. I probably yeah. shouldn't have said that, that I do, but the, it does take away from my public because um, it stops me from just hunting the buck down because there's, when I, I get on those really big bucks, when I, when I finally close in on them, it's a matter of hunting every inch that buck could be. And if you're skipping days to go someplace else, or you're going on a road trip or yeah. it takes away from that hunt. I mean, literally if we didn't do these shows and stuff and you know, I didn't go off and do challenges and stuff like that. I think I'd do a lot better in Wisconsin and then I yeah. go challenge myself after those, but I kind of like the fun stuff too. I mean, it's yeah, sure. Everything's got its good and bad, right? Right. Yep. You should got a clean hat on. Yeah, yours is getting pretty grummy. Well, I don't know if you noticed in that uh, last video I did, the drought scout. Yeah. Um, Towards the end, um, the pollen got really bad in an area. Mm -hmm. I was completely yellow. I wish I had it on tape. Uh, uh, Eric, between gagging, because he's allergic to pollen, between his gag. <laughs> He was laughing his, his butt off because my whole hat turned yellow. I had yellow smudges all over me and stuff. And I looked filthy at the end of that show where I went into yeah. the show and actually clean. Yeah. I actually had to change my clothes that day. It was like a week early. Jeez. Yeah. It was just covered <laughs> in this stuff. But it was in my skin and everything. I was just completely yellow. Hmm. And the hat never come completely clean. It's just got like Yeah, this... I can see there's like a tint to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, well. You know the guy that owns the place. Yeah. Get you another one. He's a cheap bastard. He'll be trying to hard to talk about you want to talk about uh, some of these? We got a couple of news articles and I put them in the description uh, of the yeah, video. So you guys uh, I think Dan and Dave sent me both of these. Let me put them up on my screen here. Here we go. Coming from the Meat Eater News Desk. Poacher's license suspended 35 years after hunting buddy turns him in. I wouldn't say I mean, it's a buddy, but Wayne's <laughs> yeah. turned him in. If, if you guys are into like news stuff, hunting related stuff, this Cow's Week in Review that he, they do, I think they do it once a week. It, it, Hence the name Weekend Review, but they do do a really good job of like breaking down all the important stuff going on in the news of hunting or interesting stuff, I guess. But anyway, just a shout out to Cal's Weekend Review. Um, I didn't read it, Dan. To be honest with you, I was trying to filter through it while we were. Uh, I kind of filtered through it myself. Um, yeah, but uh, I thought it was kind of uh, there was a wow factor for me in a couple of places. Mm -hmm. um, Number one, I thought he was just your just general redneck poacher. Yeah. You know, you know, like the neighbor guy. You know, you run into guys like this all the time, just shoots a few extra deer. The neighbor woman likes deer meat, so he fills her tag for her so he can get another buck. Yeah. And, uh, um, the most outrageous thing he did was he shot a deer, and um, it was 
smaller than he wanted or something. So he, he hit it. And I think that's what offended his buddy to the point where his buddy actually helped him hide it. But then his conscience got to him and he went and turned him in. And then they, the, the guy who wrote the article was kind of like, uh, it. he didn't say it, but it almost seemed like he was offended that, uh, that the guy who turned in the poacher didn't get charged for helping him hide the, the deer after he called the DNR and told him where he hit it. So I, you know, I don't get that. I think, uh, you don't, you don't go after the, uh, people who, uh, turn them in or you, uh, won't have people turning people in. But, uh, another thing that surprised me was, uh, how much they charged the neighbor lady who I don't think is a hunter. She just wanted the deer meat and just filled the tags for him. Yeah. I mean, she got like a quite sizable fine, didn't she? $2,000. Okay. I guess that ain't too bad, but. But still, I mean, they should have probably yeah. turned state evidence and got her to testify against them or something. Yeah, but uh, yeah, two thousand dollars for—I mean, I that could—I, you know, that can be a lot of money for someone. I mean, yeah, I know, but people have a way of manipulating people. You know what yeah. I mean? I've seen like, uh, you know, I mean, this goes way back. But when I was a kid, I my friends would manipulate little old ladies and stuff into buying them deer tags. Yeah. You know? But that was back in the 80s when people were like starving for deer and stuff. Right. Uh, right. They'd been, those those people wouldn't even know they're doing something wrong. You know what I mean? Now, yeah. this woman, I think she did. It said something like she was filling out paperwork for him and stuff too. But Yeah. But any, anywho, what really shocked me was uh, uh, his fine was quite excessive. And, and especially how long he lost his hunting life in the sport. 35 years. Yeah. And 25,000 in fines. Of license and a twenty-five thousand dollar fine, and it was kind of like redneck stuff. That's the kind of stuff you usually get when the guy's like a well-known person bragging about his deer. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like a, like a, uh, uh, a, well, guy, like a guy who owns a certain tree stand company who uh, hunts over beta legal. <laughs> well, uh, uh, yeah, it's called stand at night. Uh, those kind of guys, you know, not to I, name I, it. Uh, a recent one is a good example is uh, Josh Bomar. He they they charged him. I think he had to pay seventy thousand dollars in fines just for. Yeah. Uh, and they didn't do. Who he is. Yeah, according to him, um, he, they didn't actually do anything improper. It was just that it was going on while they were you know at the outfit or whatever the outfitter was doing things that, and essentially they just should have known better. They shouldn't have been involved with the guy. Um, hmm. So. I don't like that as guilt by association kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Because, I mean, um, yeah, it's kind of weird. I'm not a game warden. You're not a game warden. Um, mm -mm. We're not cops. You know, I also, we like, people, but I, I, I kind of yeah. turn a blind eye to those people in a lot of cases. I mean, if somebody's doing something really outrageous, I'm turning them in for sure. But, I mean, yeah. as far as uh, like small issues, I mean, uh, man, I'll get my house burned down, you know? Yeah. Um, also, we don't really know what actually happened here. I mean, you, like, it's like example of whenever you're speeding and they give you a ticket for the, the lowest amount you can, you know, the, uh, the, you're, you're yeah. going 15 over, but they give you the ticket for five over or whatever the case may be. It's like, right. Uh, is that something like this happened? Like, Hey, you were doing something way worse, but we're going to, we're going to give you the max for this lesser charge. You know, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Who knows? Right before we came on this, I was watching, a, um, youtube show on uh uh that was following cops around they were like drive-alongs and filming mm -hmm. the uh, interactions 
and they had two interactions with uh, uh, young kids that had uh, they were high driving around with pot in their, their vehicles. Yeah. And one of them was apologetic and, and uh, admitted everything, told the cop where the pot was and everything else. And he got a ticket and uh, got his car towed because he didn't want him driving it high. Right. And the other one, I mean, uh, told the cop he's going to sue him and he had a fit and, you know, was resisting everything. And uh, you can't touch my car. Wouldn't tell him what his name was and stuff. And that guy, for the same crime, he got a lot <laughs> more. Yeah. Right. You don't know how somebody acted to the... Um, yeah, you know, right. I mean, that guy ended up in jail, you, yeah. you know, same crime. And I, I guess a lot of that has to do with uh, your actions and how you are as a person, you know, to those people doing their job. Yep. Yep. And that may be why they give that wiggle room to the, uh, or the crimes, <laughs> you know, it depends on how you handle yourself. Right. Uh, and then there was another one that you wanted to talk about that we uh, kind of kind of crazy and in my mind this is worse than shooting a deer of any kind but oh yeah this um, should get the death penalty <laughs> they, they should take the guy who did this and they should put him in a little tiny cage and pour gas on him and light him up yep this they should do yeah so this guy here from new york he was burning raccoons alive new york city i don't think new york just new york that's that could be anywhere in New was York. No commercial, probably before your time. Oh, yeah, must be some sort of uh, um, salsa sauce or whatever. Yeah, cowboys are on a fire eating it, and one says, "Looks at the bottle and he says, made in New York City.'" <laughs> yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. So. Right, you're not my age. There's, I bet you there's people uh, watching that know what I'm talking about. Oh, probably so. Probably so. Um, but yeah, that's insane anyways they found him and he had a he also had what they're calling an assault weapon in the news you know um actually the assault really weapon might be what gets him the charges because uh unfortunately cruelty to animals is not that big of a punishment yeah but having anything bigger than a bb gun in new york will probably land you in prison yeah yeah so he had an um, assault rifle or something that's what it says assault weapon um so he's got a he's he's got a gun, but he has to torture the raccoon. You can't yeah. you know, you just put a bullet in it or something if he wants to kill right. it. Right. I'd say something's wrong with this guy. Yeah, I mean you gotta stop something like that because if a guy's doing that to animals, there's something wrong in his head and you don't know what he'd do to people. Right. Yeah. You're taking joy into and making something suffer like that. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. Anyway, those were two articles that we caught our eye this week and Shout out to Ryan Callahan for bringing them to our attention. But shout out to Dave for sharing it with us. Dave, I guess, <laughs> Green or Dave showed him to us, I think, didn't he, Dan? Yeah. Oh. Hey, uh, and I lost it. The, the comments move, but uh, Chip, he saw the commercial. See, he remembers that. Uh, See, there's a couple old timers on here. Yeah. I got, I'm curious as to, uh, it, I wonder, like, people in the comments, leave a comment about if you think that fine is too high or too too low. I don't know. I always just, I'm always curious what people think about that kind of stuff. Um, Which you one? Don't the, think about, the deer hunter fine? The deer I mean, hunter the fine. Yeah, fine? I, yeah, the poacher fine. We don't really know what the raccoon, didn't sound like the raccoon guy has gotten sentenced yet or anything. Uh, they said it didn't say in the article, so. Um, I honestly, I mean, people will probably disagree with me. I think most people want would be like, hang the guy. Yeah. But 
honestly, um, considering the facts of what he did, I think it was a little high. I think he should have got like, uh, you know, like three or four thousand bucks and and lose your license for five years. And I think mm-hmm. it would do the same amount of punishment as what they're doing with this money. It's just a little um, excessive, I think, because it's yeah. going to make his family suffer and everything else. I mean, yeah. I mean, think about if you if you got into trouble with something and you got that kind of fine. I'm not saying you'd ever do anything like that guy did. Neither of us would. Right. But right. if you did, what that would do to your wife, your kids, and stuff like that, I don't think they should be punished for what you did. Yeah. Yeah. I think the uh, for me, the the years not hunting would be more detrimental for like personally, like a guy, you know. And when that wouldn't hurt your family, in fact, yeah, that would probably be a, my, life. my life is hunting. Yeah, that would be a uh, it'd be the opposite to your family. You know, that'd be probably a good thing for your relationships and everything. If you quit hunting and could get over the, that fact that you can't hunt anymore. 35 um, years, I probably never hunt again. Right. Yep. So that's like a prison. That's like that's like life in prison. Just uh-huh. like it. <laughs> Oh, I don't know how I feel about that amount of money for fines. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, I get people's like, I get the frustrations of people doing that kind of thing, but it does seem like a lot of money. Um, you don't think about uh, the stuff, you know, we do every day. Uh, not, not illegal, but just like deer hunting, how, how uh, serious it can be in some States. Like people really take certain States, take it very serious. And they, uh, you know, they, they consider a, a finite resource and they, they take it serious whenever you screw with it. So, yeah. you know, when I was a kid, I don't know. Um, the fine for uh, um, poaching a deer was $500. If you, if you didn't tag it or you had somebody else tag it or, you, you know, you didn't register it or something, it was mm-hmm. $500. And a lot of people poached back then. And uh, $500 was a lot of money. It's probably the sure. equivalent. Of, and I would say, you know, three grand or something right mm-hmm. well then they changed it to um to a thousand dollars and when they changed it to a thousand dollars it really helped you, you wouldn't think so but it was like people are like a thousand dollars oh you know and people and people yeah. really straightened out because of that you know it really made a difference uh, an impact that's about when we started having a population boom because there's a lot of people that just went in their backyard and shot a deer whenever they needed meat when i was a kid yeah a lot of yeah. people did yep yep maybe that's what the i mean maybe that's what we're getting to is just they're trying to make examples out of people uh yeah maybe if they make it outrageous enough the next guy will go oh geez i can't it's not worth it right right one would hope but i think i think uh you know this case this is what bothered me about the case not that i'm defending the guy yeah just like a redneck but the get you know the guys that um um are like uh, doing it for um, ego. That's the kind of guys you really don't like. You know, it puts a bad taste in everybody's mouth. Where they want to shoot this giant buck so bad, they go out and shoot it off their neighbor's property with a rifle or at night or w- whatever, a spotlight or, you know, those are the guys that you really like to see get nailed, you know, but. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, I get what you mean. Um, you know, but I don't even yeah. think, I, I think if you made it a million dollars, those egos would still drive some of those people to do it. Yeah. They think, think they can get away with it. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. They think they're in, 
they were indestructible anyway. So, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know if you're just, if you're, if the tag was bought for and, and I don't know, it is, it is a little bit, it does seem like a lot, but eh, whatever sucks to be him. <laughs> I should probably shouldn't have done it, I guess. Right. Yeah. Uh, all right. I don't, I don't feel bad for him. I just thought it's a, it's kind of a wall factor, but I don't feel yeah, bad. It's, yeah, I know what you mean. It's just like, wow, that's a lot of money. Like, I get right. it. I get it. It is. It's a, it's a lot. And The time is more to me, too. I agree with you on that one. Yeah, that would be. I mean, the 25000 Holy crap. Yeah, the 25000 that sucks. That, But it's, it, I mean, at the end of the day, that's just money. And, like, that's the, the 35 years of not being able to hunt. That's, like, taking I mean, a part of Yeah, you think about way, it. You know? You know, um, if it was $25,000 or you can never hunt again, I'd pay $25,000. Yeah. That's my life. Yeah. But I wouldn't be in that situation in the first place. But yeah. Of course, nowadays, uh, $25,000 is a like a uh, 10 year old pickup with 100,000 miles on it. That's how much of yeah, that. That's true. You know, it's like, geez. In the old times, that's probably what money, money sounds so much. Yeah, that's not that's not an exaggeration either. I think that'd be a good, that'd be a steal on a pickup like that nowadays. So I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, we went out today and uh, get a meal at the restaurant. It was seventy five bucks, and then go to the gas station. It was one hundred and ten. I mean, yeah. there was there was a time then that that was uh, more than my week's pay. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yep. Mm. Yeah, it, going out to eat is expensive anymore. It's crazy. All right. Let's talk about hunting in the mornings. You think people want to eat, actually hear us talk about hunting? <laughs> I don't know. We're going to find out. All right. Um, so this is a really popular topic, and it seems like uh, it's a question that comes up pretty often is about hunting mornings, especially in early season. When should you do it? When should you not? We talked about it off and on. But we've never really had a discussion just solely about that topic um, for an entire show and mm -hmm. we're trying not, like I said, I'm trying to get a lot more tactical things in here and, and prep for deer season for everybody. Um, we kind of talked about early season hunting in the mornings last year. Um, I brought it up to you because I was doing a thing with Exodus the other day and they, that was their, one of their top four questions was, is if you hunt mornings in October. Um, and you said essentially Dan, that you, you don't, uh, and especially that half the month. Well, do. yeah, I, I, that's why I told Chad, I said, I hunt it, you know, once late October comes, I'm definitely can hunt in the mornings, mm -hmm. but we were talking about early season. Um, you know, you kind of said, yeah, I really, I really don't want to go and mess up a good spot. Um, in the morning, you said you might go in the morning if it's kind of a spot that like may get lucky, but it's not a spot that I'm, um, thinking so I can I kill some. Can't get away with in the evening. Yeah, you know, can't let yeah. those deer have a free ride. Right. Or just live there forever. I guess I, uh, you know, I don't know how long we'll talk about this topic. We may just answer quite a few questions tonight. But um, in your mind, like, how, how would you, if someone came to you with the scenario, what would that scenario have to be for you to tell them? Okay, I think you should go sit there in the morning, and it's September twentieth. Uh, there's a couple scenarios that would do it. I think probably the, the best one for September 20th would be um, he's relatively sure he knows where a buck's betting, a mature buck. Mm -hmm. 
and we got a uh, storm that came in a wicked storm in the evening and went on into the night, like 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night. And it was going to be a calm morning. Those wicked storms, those bucks will stay hunkered down. And when they end, those bucks will get a late start and they'll get back late. And I've seen that on many occasions. The day after a storm is a good day. That's basically what I was doing when I got my biggest morning buck. Yeah. Um, the storm hadn't quite ended yet, but it was about to. And I was in there and I did have that buck coming back, but it had stormed all night. So he was up in the rain. But uh, but I have hunted many times in the mornings after a storm and had a lot of success. Not necessarily killing deer, but seeing mature bucks where normally I'm not seeing them in the mornings on those days right after a storm. Uh, the other scenario would be um, that the guy gives me no other options. Yeah, I work, I work every evening. I can't hunt. So I'm just going to sit here and do nothing. Well, then go hunt. Give it a try. Yeah. What do you got to lose? I mean, you can't kill them sitting on your couch. Sitting in the morning is better than not sitting at all in the morning, right? Yeah. It's just a matter of don't ruin your good spots. Because if you got good evening spots, what happens is, is those deer will go into a... Uh, those mature bucks will go into a bedding area and bed an hour, two hours, three hours before daylight. And they come out, though, in the evenings. They're just sitting in there all day. They'll get up and move every here and there within the bedding area and feed on, like, twigs or whatever. Like, say you had a cracker or two around your bed. You're starving when you get up, right? So they're yeah. hungry, right? They want to get up and they want to eat and they want to get about their business. And they're sitting there half awake waiting. Almost always, big bucks will come out of those bedding areas in daylight. They will only get so far, but they, they will they will make a move. They'll get up, they'll start moving around, they'll start slowly coming out, and then they'll they'll get out to that fifty to hundred yards range. And what what my trick to killing these bucks that are nocturnal like that has been has been to I call that a uh, safe zone. So they got an area that they'll move in daylight, right in the evening that they consider safe because from their bed, they can monitor everything that goes on in that circle. I want to get right to the edge of that circle where I can shoot them in it. That's what I want to do. So I'm as close as I can possibly be to that bed without him seeing, hearing, or smelling me, right? Any of his sense or his senses. And in the evenings, if he's there, most likely I'll get a chance to kill him. More often than not, I'll kill that target buck if he's if he's bedded there, if I know that bedding area well. But when I go in in the mornings, more often than not, I get there in the dark and hear him crash out of the bedding area, and then he doesn't come back, and now i got to go relocate him. And I've just ruined my whole setup. So that's why I don't do that. But what I do do is I'll go over and I'll hunt some... Um, remote spot that you cannot get to in the evening because of the tangle that the only tree you can hunt out of where you could kill them is uh too close to the bedding to uh to do an evening hunt and you can't hunt off the ground and stuff's too thick the only thing you could do is hunt in the morning i'll go give that a shot but you, you know um those people who are saying well dan doesn't know what he's talking about you got to remember i've been doing this my whole life and i didn't start out not hunting mornings yeah. I started out hunting every single morning, every single evening, and hunting that way 
for a long time. And I found that there's certain time periods and stuff when you can kill them in the mornings and certain time frames when you can't. Not necessarily can't, but your odds go way down and then you start wrecking areas. Just think about when you go in there in the morning in the dark. Now we've all been there. You go out in the hunt in the morning, right? And mm -hmm. uh, um, have you ever noticed how quiet it is? Oh, yeah. I go I out and I get set up and I can hear every hunter for three miles around me. Tell you what, in yeah. the evening, you can't. All the no. birds, the noise, the wind noise. It gets dead calm in the morning a lot. And you just, you can't hear people for forever. And those deer could hear them too. I can guarantee you with my hearing as bad as it is, if I can hear a guy setting up a mile from me, a deer can probably hear that from two miles. Yeah. And he'll pinpoint it to right exactly in the spot. Yeah. Even when they don't bed down before daylight, what I find is they come back to the area and they're hanging somewhere near that bedding and they're going to hear you come in there. Right. And then another thing they do is when they come back to bedding in the morning that they do different in the evening, is they're a little leery of that bedding. I mean, they leave scent in there and stuff and they know predators and stuff know that that's their bedding area. They circle to the downwind side. And then they go straight into the wind to that bed and they smell the whole area. So if you're sitting near that bed, he's going to wind you. So you kind of got to get the, um, instead of being like right over the bed, you got to be back far enough where you can shoot him before he gets uh, downwind to you. But you kind of got to know where he's going to come from, right? And it's going to be dependent on the exact wind of the day. Like when you go to a bedding area and you look at the trails coming in and out of the bedding area, the trails coming in and out are not really coming in and out. They're coming out. Yeah. People think they're coming in and out. The trails going in, those, those bucks will go in in a way that the wind's to their favor. So they're not necessarily on a trail. They're coming in with the wind and nose. And I'm, I'm saying this because I've watched it happen over and over again. Now, there's a lot of scenarios where they are forced to use trails, like in cattails and stuff like that. And then you yeah. can kind of go, well, okay, they're going to be on the downwind trail. And then that's a good morning setup because you can kind of pin him to the trail where the wind's blowing a certain direction, right? If you know the wind directions well and where the trees are before you go out there. Um, yeah. And what you're kind of, I think what you're describing there is like uh, that term people use is like a J hooking into their bed, right? That's when they're trying right. to circle around and, mm -hmm. And get into their bed with their nose. We, we call it J hooking, but it can be just a straight line too. I mean, right. They're going to come in from downwind. And I have seen them on occasion, not actually J hook, but walk past downwind mm -hmm. and then come in from a different route. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I personally observe that. Different deer do different things, you know? Yeah. That's what I was going to bring up too. Is you you talk, talked about it already, but just how. In the mornings, you always have light and variable winds, which is not good for deer smelling you, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and then when you're just walking walking into a, a setup, you just feel like your footsteps are echoing through the woods um, yeah. almost unavoidably. Another good so, reason to go right after rain because it's so uh, yep. quiet out there. I mean, you, you're yep. quiet because you're not right. crunching. Yep. And that's I was going to say that too with that that storm tip you gave everybody that was that's probably a big factor. Um, it's crazy how little moisture will uh, 
just dead and everything, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, in the mornings, like when it's dark, it's hard to put a stand up uh, perfectly without making a little bit of noise, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be obviously it can be done, but it's just in the, in the dark. Naturally, you're going to have a tendency to uh, more than likely make a clink or something on accident, as opposed yeah. to in uh, when it's daylight out. I love uh, the beautifulness of a morning. I love yeah. to watch the sunrise. I love to watch the woods come alive. I love that sharpness of the, the air, the cold, sharp air. Mm-hmm. But if I'm there to kill a deer, I'm doing it in the evening usually, especially yeah. early season. Now, you you know, even when you look at what people are, when people are killing deer in the mornings, even in rut, how many of those deer are getting killed in bedding areas? Not many. They're getting yeah. killed in funnels. They're getting killed downwind of doe bedding areas and stuff. It is really hard to kill them around bedding areas in the morning. Yep. In the mornings when you're going in, um, how much do you pay attention to like your flashlight and keeping it kind of hidden and all that? Or do you just, uh, you know, um, I'll, I'll tell you something. I used to pride myself in going in complete black and coming out in complete black. Yeah. And, uh, I've almost been shot a couple times because of that. Yeah. So now I, I carry a light. I don't necessarily flash it all over the place and stuff. I kind of shine it at the ground, but if you don't use a light, you get night vision. You can see real well in the dark, but as soon as you turn a light on, you lose your, your night vision for like five, 10 minutes. Yeah. You know, if you haven't tried it, you wouldn't know what I'm talking about, but you can actually see in the dark to a degree if you don't use lights and you don't, you know, you let your eyes get accustomed to the dark. But, uh, I just don't want to, uh, be the lucky guy who walks under the guy from that. We're just talking about earlier with the raccoon guy. No, the guy before the raccoon oh. guy. The guy with uh, 25 years, he can't hunt no more. I don't yeah. want to walk with him with, uh, <laughs> yeah. with no light on. So, happy, uh, happy trigger finger. Right. So I, I use a light. I try to flash it towards the ground. Um, yeah. Or just have a dull light on my hat or something. But uh, I, I really changed my mind about lights a little bit because uh, after having that guy draw a bow on me in the dark. Yeah. Uh, I started using a light a lot. And there was a couple times when I walked up on deer and they didn't even care. You walk right yeah. past and hit them with a the light and you're like, holy crap. I mean, one time I walked up to this really nice eight pointer. I mean, it just stood there yeah. 10 yards. Yeah. You'd never do that in daylight, but it didn't have no concern over that flashlight at all. Hmm. Maybe that flashlight even helped me that he couldn't physically see me through the light. Maybe it was blind. Right. Confu- confused him or something. Yeah. But yeah, I've, I haven't seen deer actually, um, spook from light very much personally i think they spook yeah. a little bit but i don't think they spook like they saw a human or you know i don't necessarily want them to see me with a light flashing in my tree or 10 yards from my tree or something like that right I think I'm off before that mm-hmm. but i don't think the light is that huge of a deal on your traverse to and from but i would turn it off um as i'm getting up to the tree um, but if it's a great spot, there could be another guy there already or something. So I probably would be have it on enough pointing at the ground. So if there's anybody in the area where you're going to hunt, they could, they've seen the light. Yeah. You know, but uh, I'll do the old, uh, like a lot of times I'll get, I'll just get my cell phone out and like, you know, just kind of flash, like not flash it, but just keep it to where it's enough light where it's not shining, but you can tell something's there. I've done that before walking um, when I got nervous or something, or when I was in an area where I thought maybe there'd be some people. Um 
So just to have some kind of, I'm not a deer look to me. <laughs> don't, don't shoot me in the dark. Um, I'm kind of like you though. I just use my head. I use my light walking in and out. Um, but I just, I just, I'm conscious of where I'm pointing it and try not to like, just, you know, go ahead and shine up the whole woods or anything or make anything more obvious than what it needs to be. Um, and then I usually have it like on my head, like going up the tree. Mm. Anytime I get to a spot where I, like I am stuck or I need to just flip the light on real quick to throw a strap around a tree or just whatever, I'll just click it on real quick, do it. And then I go back off to, you know, I don't, I don't like to make a, some big loud noise. I think, I think clanking a strap off of a stand or something would be more detrimental than a uh, flashlight. Absolutely. Um, okay. That's your kind of take on early season and uh, morning hunting. So when, do you um, start, when do you start going in the mornings, like when you're like, okay, I got to get out there in the morning. So I bet you that's going to be different for everybody. And uh, um, even me, I mean, if I went to your, your area, where you're at, I think the date would be different. But where I'm at, where I live, I would say the date is October 15th. And the reason I'm so confident of that date is because that's what my journals and my observations over time, see, I'm a, kind of a stats guy, Yeah, have been, is that that's when it starts kicking in. That's when they start moving in the morning a lot more in daylight. That's when they start getting back to beds at gray light. So right around October 15th. And um, it picks up a little more after that. But that's when I start seeing that rut activity starting in my area. But now I bet if I got down by you, that's probably close to more close to Halloween. Yeah, 25th. That's what I tell people is that's my favorite. So we're off by about 10 days. Yeah. And our rut probably is too. Because end of October is when I, I, I see my best rut, rut activity. And you see it like a week into November. Yeah. Correct? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I can't, I'll be on, like, honestly, I've seen uh rutting activity like the 18th and 19th of October, but like the 25th, that's usually when I like, that's when things start to really get to trucking around here. It seems like um, a couple few years back on the 25th, I had, we had like three of my buddies killed a deer on that day um, during bow season. So I don't know. You, you know, what's uh, interesting to me is that those old rut calendars and stuff. Yeah, and those rut predictions by biologists and such. I really get a kick out of those because the rut is at the exact same time every year. Yeah, you can, it's not changed. I mean, you can tell that by when fawns are born, the gestation period, and yeah. blah blah blah. You can tell when the rut was, when they bred, right? Yeah, and it doesn't. It doesn't vary. What varies yeah. is daylight movement, and that's yeah. just has to do with with outside factors. Yeah. Moon, how hot it is, or the, the other yeah. factors that your general hunter can figure out. Yeah. Eh. I'm sure they sold a bunch of them. Oh, <laughs> yeah, sure. uh, so, and during the rut, like what kind of areas are you, you like to go hunt in the mornings or is it anything different than what we've during already talked rut? about? Yeah. Uh, I would say, um, uh, in the early morning, I like to hit the buck beds and, uh, if I can, I want to find rut beds. Um, but I don't think they actually use those rut beds as much in the mornings. So in the mornings, I want to actually hunt buck bedding that is near doe bedding or, um, you know, adjacent to feeding areas where does feed and, and stuff like that. 
but I only want to sit there for about the first hour or so. I think a lot of guys in rut want to sit all day and I do too, but not in the way that they're doing it. I don't think that any particular spot is like, um, I shouldn't say any spot. Some spots are, but for the most part is rarely a perfect all day spot. It'd be kind of like, uh, if somebody wanted to kill you and, uh, they sat out by the office where you work all, all, all night, you know, you know, they went out there at like noon and sat there till, till four at night. Well, they're going to see you at closing time of work when you come out. Right. Or if they yeah. went in the morning that, you know, there's a window of time when deer go through an area. I mean, they're, ma- they're patternable animals. They don't just stay in one area all day or just show up there periodically throughout the day. I mean, there's cases, there's cases. Don't right. get me wrong. I think got a doe locked down or something. Right. But for me, something I like see that, these yeah. bucks. They bed in the morning before daylight, even in the rut. And before you say I'm nuts, think about your sightings. Do you see them at first light a lot? Probably not. They're in rut. You usually start seeing them nine or 10, right? When they get back yeah. up and they make a move. That's true. So I hunt them where their bedding areas are in, in uh, first light and try to get them coming back at gray light. And then I, I'll, I'll shift to like the funnels and stuff during the day. Uh, funnels, uh, downwind of doe bedding areas and stuff. And it's got to be kind of thick, close, you know, where they can travel thick to, to, to the, through these areas or have a small window open areas. They don't want to go through long areas of vast openness, you know, like open ridges and stuff. Right. So I want to hunt the leeward ridges, the downwind of doe bedding areas and stuff like that midday. And then in the evening, I'll shift to, you know, parallel trails along, you know, like uh, between doe feeding and uh, and uh, doe bedding and get those parallel trails where, where bucks will cruise the downwind side of a field or not, maybe not even downwind, but crossing the doe trails, the smell of does and heat went out to that field. Mm-hmm. You know, um, or I'll, uh, um, you know, hunt more towards the doe bedding areas, but uh, um, my timing for where I'm hunting is going to be specific to what the deer are doing at the time of the day. That's good stuff. Um, what about late season? Do you ever hunt in the mornings on late season? I have, I don't do really great on it unless it's really cold. It's really, oh, cold. really? Yeah. They move periodically here and there, but even in, in late season, I do really good in the evenings right. early. I mean, they move really well in the evenings early mm-hmm. in late season. I mean, but you got to get to a certain temperature. I don't know if you do down there. No. If you do, it could be a rare thing. Yeah. But up here, when we get down to about 10 degrees or lower, you start getting mm-hmm. real good movement and you have no hunter activity. People yeah. just disappear. And oh, actually, yeah. the hunting can be really, really good mm-hmm. in that uh, time period right around uh, the end of December around here. Um, it would be better even earlier, but we have a lot of stupid gun seasons that go on. And then they start yeah. making all those seasons and and holiday hunts and stuff. And it kind of ruins some of that late season, great hunting, but that late season hunting, um, is right up there with like real early season in September. They move yeah. really well in daylight. It can be, um, such a great time to hunt in, uh, in, in that time frame because there's no leaf cover and you can see those deer forever and you can observe them from a distance. There's the snow, 
they leave tracks in the snow. You can drive around a block and see if big tracks are going in and out of a block. And it's just, uh, it's shocking to me that more people don't take advantage of that time frame. Yeah. Yeah. I was curious what you would say about mornings in early season or in late season. Cause I don't even think about going out in the mornings. Seriously. Um, I don't hunt a lot of late seasons uh, in state because I'm usually tagged out. Yeah. Same. Same. But I do um, really, really enjoy them when I'm not. Yeah. The, uh, the few times I've hunted late season, it was up in Wisconsin. And like, I'll be honest with you, like it was negative, like 15 out, like in the mornings, it was so cold in the mornings. Is it so the I, don't, I don't even know. Together? Do what? Is it the hunt we were on together? Yeah. That yeah. was brutal. Yeah, I actually, I, 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 my finger, if you remember that, I, I the tip of my finger turned black and yeah. Nasty. Oh yeah, I remember. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so I, I, it really almost wasn't an option. It wasn't really safe, and it was. You, I don't know if your equipment would have worked. Like it was pretty cold. Uh, it probably would have worked, but you know what I mean. Um, and then in Illinois, I, I just spent my mornings scouting instead of, uh, you know, hunt in the mornings. Um, but and that's what we do on a lot of road trips, and a lot of people get on us for that. You know, that's something yeah. we should probably talk about. People are like, you should be hunting in the morning on road trips. Even in rut, I'm usually not hunting in the mornings. I want to, but there's a problem with that. And the problem is you have to have some scouting time because most of those trips that we go on as a challenge, if it's some sort of challenge, we've never been there before. Yeah. You can't just go willy-nilly through the woods in the dark and just set up anywhere and kill a deer. You have to do some right. scouting. You have to have some time of foot on the uh you know, on the ground and uh generally that's going to be the mornings yeah there's there's not a there's not a worse feeling on an out-of-state trip than when you you like you get there um and you go sit somewhere and nothing shows and you have no clues at all like you got to right. figure something out to to just sit there and keep sitting in that spot is just kind of insane that's what, you know and that's what your average guy would do he'd just go back to the same tree you know, and that can work. I mean, you can go back to that same tree and sit there for the first hour, maybe, and then oh, yeah. get down and scout. But you've got to scout. You got to have some scout yeah. time. And generally, um, I figured it out a long time ago that you can almost calculate it on paper the amount of scouting versus the amount of success. Is, oh yeah, it's really a formula. You know what I mean? It's the more time you put you you put feet on the ground, the more opportunities you get because of that scouting. So I want to yeah. be walking as much as possible but you do have to spend tree time to kill them yep yep anything else we want to talk about in the mornings or you want to answer some questions now um getting more notes down no i don't think so either i think we covered everything all right we'll answer some questions everybody if you got a question just put a question mark in the front of your question, like Zeke Outdoors has one right up top there. You guys can see that for um, an example. Dane Hale, thanks for joining the membership. And Down Jersey Hunter, thanks for joining too, man. I hope you guys enjoy enjoy it. Let's see here. Zeke, Zeke wants to know, out of both of your bucks, um, if you could only have one, which one would it be? 
Uh, if I could only have one uh, out of both of our bucks, I want your 12-pointer. <laughs> <laughs> I think he means both of us answer the question. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. You may go uh, first. I, I, yeah, you go I first. Read, mine would be my first one. That's the one that I haven't seemed to get out of my mind. And, like, that's the one I can tell you the most details about. And my dad was with me, and I just – that's the one that got me hooked, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's not not even close to my biggest, but it's the one that's I guess uh, has the most uh, space in my mind seems to be. So Zeke, you're on your way to that moment. Yeah, that's that's a hard hard uh, question because there's yeah. five or six only one bucks that I'd like to to name. So for me, I, it wouldn't be my first buck, but that is a very good answer because I do feel very special about my first buck. Yeah. And especially my first bull buck. Um, but um, the very first um, giant I ever shot um, with a shotgun um, was, a, was a really large buck that I had hunted for years and kind of taught me how to hunt. I often re- refer to it as my mentor. Mm-hmm. It'd probably be that buck if I had to say one. But it, it's really even hard to imagine that question. I don't know what you think about that, Josh, but if, I mean, you took all my bucks away except for that one, I don't even know if I'd be a hunter. I mean, that's yeah, my lifetime. You yeah, know what right. I mean? It'd probably change my whole personality, who I am and what I, you know. Mm-hmm. What I yeah, do. It, it'd, it'd be I'd weird, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would, yeah. Um, hard to answer. It's yeah, kind of like it, kind of like asking a guy if you were a female, you know, if you transgendered into a transgender um you know, how, how would you feel about that? Would you shave? You know, it's like, what? Yeah. I can't imagine myself in that position. Right. So it's, it's, right. it's a difficult question. Yeah. All right. Tim asks, Dan, how close are you to Lake Geneva? And how do I register for a workshop? <laughs> uh, Lake Geneva. I think that's south of me. I don't know. Maybe somebody else on here could answer. There's a lot of people on here that know where I live. Um, I'm not sure exactly where Lake Geneva is. I think it's south of me. I don't think it's that far, but to register for a workshop, all you have to do is uh, email me um, like sometime after Christmas is when I start setting those up. Um, Josh can put my email down in his uh, comments if you want, if he wants. Um, yeah. But just email me before, you know, before January kicks in. And uh, even if I don't answer you immediately, I do a search in my emails for people that have been questioned about it. Yeah. And uh, I will uh, uh, send you an email about it. But I also post the dates on uh, on the forum. Yep. yep. So if you haven't been to one, they're a great time. They really are. Yeah, that's pretty yeah, fun. Well worth it. I've never really had anybody complain. I think I had one guy complain out of all these yep. years. And that guy was yep. just a nut. And I gave yeah. him his money back. There you go. All right. Nicholas asks or says, uh, let's talk bear hunting. So, you gotta get that past Josh. I don't know if he wants they, to talk they, to We have a plan. In a couple of weeks, we're gonna have a uh, some bear <laughs> hunting material here. Uh it's hard it's hard for me because I don't I've never been on a bear hunt. So it's like Dan Dan's gonna oh, have to I keep to, trying to get you on one this year. You're like, I don't I know. Bear. I know. I like to go deer hunting. Um you gotta get your bear once you do it once, you won't think of it the same. Because yeah. when you when you look at bear hunting from the outside, 
you think of it as like rabbit hunting or pheasant hunting or something like that. But if you ever went on a real bear hunt where you're not sitting there where a guide puts you in a tree over a pile of donuts and you're actually going out and physically being part of it. Yeah. It's kind of addicting. Yeah. Oh, I bet. You're actually hunting I mean, I... for a mature bear and kind of like we hunt for mature deer and stuff. I mean, it's a whole different kind of thing, but it is kind of fun to, to, to play games with your heads. They're a lot more intelligent than a deer, which makes it kind of a little funner. Yeah. Yep. I don't, I mean, I have no uh, ill will against bear hunting. Like, I want to do it. I just, I, I'm not in a very good spot to do it. You know, um, Mike says, Josh, if you end up going to Tennessee, will you scout beforehand or scout with Stan on back? So a little bit of both. I, I'll definitely be scouting with Stan on the back, but I got some buddies that live down there. That's, that'll help me out too. If I, if I, if we need it, um, Patrick that went down to, Illinois with me. He's he lives in Memphis, around the Memphis, Tennessee area. So if I go, it'll be down there with him. And he's uh he's just like us. He'll he'll I'm sure he has a bunch of areas and whatnot. But it'll just be it, that hunt's a super. It's just a weekend hunt, so it's not you don't got a lot of time at all. Um, let's see here, more questions. But I'm looking forward to it. Not really looking forward to the uh, probably the muggy hot weather, but. It'll all be fine. Okay. David asks, if you had limited time to hunt in Southern Michigan public with season opening October 1st, when would you focus your hunt days? It would be nice if Michigan opened September, like Wisconsin. Limited time. Right off the bat. bat. Yeah. Earlier the better. I've killed yep. a lot of big bucks uh, first week of October. Yep. First uh, first few days are pretty important. Yeah, um, I think the first week's good, and I think the, the, the third week's good. You know, you know, yep. I think the second week there's a pretty good lull in, in October. Yeah. Um, but it starts to pick back up the third week, you know. it's. I think uh, if a guy only has, like, a week's vacation, like, it's not a bad idea to take a couple days, that first couple days of season and hunt, and then – take a long weekend during the rut, you know, um, that 14 pointer on the water hole that was shot October 1st. Um, the 10 pointer I shot in, uh, the original marsh box video that was shot mm-hmm. October 5th. Uh, I got a lot of bucks in uh, early October. Yep. Oh, Riley, Riley won the Osseo gear giveaway. He asked, have you ever posted on social media that you're looking for private land to hunt any luck with getting access to private this way i'll tell you what i would do uh i would not post that on like your social media that you usually go on because that is full of hunters so hunters are not going to give you their their spots if i was going to look for private land around my house i would go and i would find pages for like community chats where people in your community go so like um, around me here, it's um, we have like a, a, a town of Sullivan board. We have a, a Dousman board. We have, you know, different townships have boards where the community comes together and say, oh, I lost my dog. Anybody see my dog? And somebody gets on there and says, the fireworks are too loud. Somebody should arrest these people. Those type of people are the people you ask. They're <laughs> not hunters. You say, hey, I feel so bad about your fireworks. I would, you know. Do you know any place where I can hunt? Yeah. No, but really, if you yeah. post, post <laughs> boards and you say, 
Hey, local ethical guy um, who's um, looking for some private land access. I think it's very viable that somebody will help you out, especially if you say you're willing to, you know, work to help help with anything they need around the property or if they need um, some sort of compensation. Um, yeah. So you'll follow any rules that they have. You know, like I've had, you know, people tell me I could hunt better place if I don't come in the morning because uh, they don't like headlights under windows. Yeah. I mean, everybody's different. All these people, every property has some sort of headache to it, which is kind of like yeah. why I like it public but that's what i would do i would go to um places that are completely out of the hunting realm maybe even you know like search um farming community pages things like that join farming pages yeah you know farmers aren't necessarily hunters some of them probably are but you might be able to get access that way that's a good tip i'm sh i'm sure there's farming groups just like there's hunting groups you know um anthony he has a question he can't comment for some reason i think he's watching on his phone or something but he has a good question i wanted to get to it here i gotta open my phone back up but he asked he said um my question is when you are scouting out of state on your challenge hunts in the mornings are you speed scouting or do you carry your setup bow stand sticks and scout your way in in the mornings? In the mornings. I've done both. How about you? Wait, let me if set this up. Me? Like, like oh. we get up, we get up at like 9 30. We call we call Lou and we're like, Lou, where are we eating breakfast at? And then Lou's like, uh, there's a nice joint 35 minutes down the road. We go and eat breakfast with Lou. And then it's like then it's like uh 12 30 all of a sudden. No. <laughs> what are we doing then? I've been there. I know, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, uh, uh, preferably, um, I'm going to some spot that uh, if I'm going in the morning that I sat the night before, I pre-scouted or I walked past or, I, or I've seen from a distance and thought I got to get up there and it looks like it's open enough for a stand or something. But I mean, you really got to have something where you kind of know what you're getting into in the morning. So if I do go in the morning and I am not already aware of where I'm going. I'm waiting till first light. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm probably yeah. not doing that unless it's, unless it's like in that time frame when I think they move in the mornings. Yeah. But again, when we go on uh, those trips, I think uh, in a lot of cases, we're more likely looking for, you know, a good buck rather than an absolute giant and good bucks right. make a lot more mistakes than absolute giants do. Yeah. Yeah. To answer his question further, like, I mean, when me and Dan, like we're scouting together on a trip, we usually like carry, one of us will carry a bow and that's the extent of it usually. And then, uh, we don't, we don't always have our stands with us every single time we walk into the woods, but it gets to be later in the evening and you're going scouting and might as well have it, have it with you, you know? You, you know the one thing the one thing you can do is you can hunt a spot in the evening and if it looks like it could be a good morning spot mm -hmm. you hunt again the next morning because in a lot of cases the buck hasn't come through and smelt that you've been there yet yeah yep you're not through there every single day or you know you know what i mean so you right. can get away with reusing those spots um my main reason for not hunting as many mornings is just for the fact that i need scouting time to get on fresh sign yeah 
Because there's a lot of times you're walking through the woods and you just hit it and you're like, this is it. Yeah. And then you get your opportunity. You know, but if you don't get to that spot, if you never walked to that spot because you didn't you spent too much time at the restaurant with Lou. <laughs> oh, uh, we're just Lou's kidding. Right now. I apologize, Lou. It is uh that guy over there is doing this, not me. <laughs> <laughs> no, still invite us to breakfast. We enjoy that. Uh we're supposed here. to not go Brian. I know, right? I know. All right, Dustin asks. Do you see bucks moving to different beds midday or early in the evening in hill country? Have you ever tried to hunt that movement? You want to answer I think, stuff? I think on, um, well, you can hop in here too, but like, especially in hills, like it's such wind-based bedding. Usually if you have a wind switch, they'll definitely move around in the hills mid if something happens. And I mean, if I'm being honest, I've never like killed one because of that, like consciously. But like you could, you could, you could know that there's a wind shift, you know, coming from the whatever direction you want to put in this scenario from the east, and going to the west and and move to a between uh, what whatever a known easterly wind bedding area is, and get between that and the westerly bedding area. And you could, but it's not chooses. as easy as it sounds. No, no, I've never tried. So, I don't. I don't think. I mean. Question. I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, Josh. His question, the first thing you think of is thermal hubs. That's why they bed there. It's because they could just yeah, move right. from one point to the other when there's a windshield. Yeah. You can't yeah. get in between them. You know, I've right. I've uh if you've if you've watched the uh, Hill Country Betting DVD we put out, we talk about wind shifts, we cover all that. And I actually show some of the wind shifts that are like they move ten feet. You know, to another bed. Yeah, you, know, you see where they go to one side of the point to the next. And I've seen it in snow where you you look at where they got up and moved. When it, and they actually shift around quite a bit. So what a mature buck does is he tries to find bedding spots where he doesn't really have to move too far to cover anything that's thrown at him. Which is why yeah. they like the thermal hubs so much. Um, yeah. It is really hard to get them to move long distances on wind shifts. Yeah. They do it. Yeah. They do it. And if you can get in between it, you can kill them, but it's, it's hard. Yeah. It's, I've never had it happen or, or found the scenario where it were, would work. Justin Tanner asks, have you ever hunted Fairbanks? I have not. I don't know exactly where you're talking, but I've never hunted anything. I thought Fairbanks called, was in Alaska. There is a Fairbanks, Alaska, but um, I haven't hunted there either. Uh, I haven't hunted there because I don't know what it is or where it is. Rick, he says, uh, what do you make of an area that comes late October and you find scrapes every 30 yards and most of them won't be hit again? So he's talking about like some areas where it's just, you see in scrapes all over the place and then they're gone. No, no, no other deer comes and hits them. And to me, Rick, it's probably a young buck that's just, uh, aggravated and, and making a bunch of scrapes. Yeah, it could, like, it could be any doe could have yeah, through the heat and got them all worked up and yeah, in and out. I mean, you really, you, I mean, it comes down to the old scenario again that just about everything revolves around bedding. That's where you get your daylight movement. Yeah, things that happen with them scrapes and stuff that can be in the middle of the night. You can find areas that are yeah. torn up the rug and scrapes, and it's happening at midnight. They can do you no good yep. if you can't hunt at midnight. Yeah. I mean, how many times, Dan, have you been walking down an access trail and there's like 
just little bitty scrapes all down through it from a bucket at night, just hitting it, you know. Well, uh, you know, it happens a lot. At a point, I mean, the Rome yep. Legend buck was living across the street and coming across the road to my side of the road during the night. And he would take and he would make scrapes up and down. I mean, he'd come right through the main parking lot and go right up this logging road. And he'd make scrapes every 50 feet under these big trees as he's coming in there for the does. And then he'd rub some trees and you'd see those big tracks and stuff. And there was literally guys hunting right next to the parking lot and stuff. And you know he ain't crossing that road in daylight. You, yeah. You know? But, uh, I mean, bucks get worked up. They do things like that. Um, they can come and go. They move a lot during the, that that phase time. I mean, they can be in a spot for a few days and then move. It's like I always say, you know, like you go out of town for a weekend hunt or something, or you stop hunting for three days, and you come back, and it's a whole different game because you kind of lose track to where the deer are because otherwise you're shifting with them, you know? Yeah. MT has a good question. It says, if you already have bucks inventory, a buck inventory, why worry about summer scouting if the bedding will change by the opener October 1st? Well, that is a good question. Um, if you already know which bucks you're hunting and you already know where you're hunting, yeah, I'd be scouting someplace else to find more bucks to hunt. Mm. Yeah. Um, but I... You, you know, I have to wonder if that guy really has all the answers, you know, because uh, I do a lot of work on these deer and I have some target animals and some of them I won't scout. I won't go look at because I'm pretty confident where they're going, what they're doing and that kind of stuff. And I'm pretty confident if I went in there, I'd, I'd screwed up. Yeah. But there's other bucks where I know about where they're at, where I'm seeing them now. I can kind of keep an eye on them, watch how they're shifting, keep, you know, just periodic looks, see where they're at. Because around the opener, there's still will still be in the area, but the area might not be exactly where it is now. But by keeping an eye on them, I'll, I'll know. But I'll do it from a distance. Yeah, yeah. And you never know when something else is going to come in the area too. I mean, say the guy says, "Well, I'm not running cameras because uh, I've seen the deer out by me, and the biggest one is 148 inches, and that's the one I'm targeting, and that's my buck." And meanwhile, a 200 incher moves in the area and sits there all the time. He shoots this buck and else, and that one shows up and says, "Where did that buck come from? I didn't even know it was here." Yeah. Well, if he ran yeah. some cameras, maybe he'd know. Yeah. You know? Yep. yep. Um, he had another question. He says, "Any future plans of having a booth at the Iowa Deer Classic?" Probably. Yeah, probably. probably. Maybe one day. Somewhere on the road, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, Oleg asked, what's our hunting plans this year? We've got a bunch of them, man. Um, Deer hunting plans this year. Kill a booner opening day, kill a booner the next day, kill a booner the day after that. <laughs> and then when I fail, keep hunting with a smile on my face. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, I'll probably go to Tennessee, Nebraska, Wisconsin, and then Indiana. And then it'll depend on uh, the baby and Maddie, how they're doing. And then I have a Kansas tag later on in the season so i'm gonna do uh, wisconsin and iowa and i want to do something early season two before yeah. we start so we'd like to do an early september hunt uh, there's yeah. kentucky or nebraska or i don't know i have to look into what else there's available yeah there's a few of them not not a lot but a few um yeah. You could work any shift you wanted. What would you pick? 
That's one we have never gotten asked. If I could work, oh, I got the perfect answer for this. If I could work, okay, because I don't. I wanted, yeah, it would be none. That's the one I want to work. <laughs> none. Absolutely none. My uncle used to have a shift where he worked midnight to noon. That'd be a pretty good one for a deer hunter. That's about what I work. Yeah, because because literally, what I do is I do actually I run my department kind of thing. Yeah. I pick my own hours. So my hours are, you know, two or three in the morning to, uh, you know, one or two in the afternoon. So I get out in time to go hunting because I like my evening hunts. Yeah. Yeah. So my uncle's, to, uh, I know. I don't, I don't work uh, Fridays either. I don't do that. <laughs> Oh yeah, I forgot you are. You do work only four days a week. Yeah, during hunting seasons, uh, Mondays are overrated too. So a lot of times I don't come in on Mondays. Um, yeah. And then there's if I come in late, that's a problem because I always got to make that up by leaving early. All right, let's do a few more here. Chris asks, Josh, could you and Dan do a quick chat about a buck's staging areas? How far from bedding do they tend to be? What key, what's key things do you look for in those areas? Buck staging areas, Dan. I'm, I'm going to go on record with saying buck staging areas are overrated. Okay. Um, what When I refer to staging, what staging used to be, the original term of staging, which... It was like in the 80s and stuff and you know um guys would use it as right before a field deer would sit before the field before walking out and we've kind of changed that into <laughs> our term for it but uh when a deer comes out of bedding they don't want to run willy-nilly out into fields in broad daylight so there's going to be a point that they get to in daylight now if you've watched the videos of some of my kills around bedding areas you see that those deer just come out and kind of walk past. It's not like they stop and feed or stop and start rubbing their antlers and everything. They'll, they'll do that, but it's a pretty steady pace just out. It's not like they, they got an area to hang out. There's not like the boys club or a bar or something that they go to and just hang yeah. there for a while. They kind of go from point A to point B. They're going from their bedding to their food, but they're only going to get this short distance in daylight. So staging mm. to me is probably that window of about, you know, somewhere in a range of a hundred yards from the bed where darkness meets their travel route. Yeah. Where the window starts to close for an opportunity to kill them. There you go. And how do you recognize that? It's hard to recognize. Um, some cases there's, it's impossible by eye, but the way I've done it over, over my entire career that's worked for me is if I am as absolutely close as I can be to that bedding area without being seen, heard, smelled, or sensed in any way, I'm in the right spot. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times when I kill these deer, I watch them get out. Well, I don't actually watch them get out of bed, but you know where they're bedding. You hear them get out of the bed. You see them co- come in a few steps out of their bed, you're watching them. And that might be anywhere from an hour before dark to 15 minutes before dark 
but most of the time, by the time they're going past me, it's almost closing time. Yep. The time you shoot them. And I'm 75 yards from your beds. Right. That's what I consider staging at that, that window there. So it kind of gets into what we were talking about briefly before. I look at it as like they got a, an imaginary circle around their bed I call the safe zone. In that bedding area, um, they believe anything that happens, you know, this is in my head, obviously. I'm not yeah. speaking for the people. I don't know any personally that will talk to me. They all hate me. <laughs> None of them will speak to me. But within that circle, they believe that they can uh, hear, see, or smell anything that comes in there. They feel safe. They can get up and move around in there and walk around or whatever. But when they get to that edge, they're feeling a little like, ugh, this freaked me out. So where that edge of that circle is, wherever they hit that edge coming out, that's what I consider the safe zone. A little yeah. spot where they, they hit that. I mean, uh, the Not, staging. Yeah, staging area. Yep. Right. So that's where I want to be just on the other side of that line where they can't sense me. Mm-hmm. Just on the other side of that line. And uh, that's what's worked for me. Yep. I think that's a good description of a staging area or what, what I think the definition should be at least. <laughs> All right. Sage Robertson. Uh, he says, I have used a cheap solar si- uh, sidewalk light placed near my stand to help locate it in the dark. Is that a good or a bad idea? <laughs> I think it's a bad idea. I've it's seen so you, Sage. I don't know if it was you, Sage, but when I was in Ohio, people were people were freaking doing that, and that drove me nuts because I like in the mornings, I'd be walking in, I'd be like, oh, man, there's a guy there, you know? And then I'd like, I walked around this one, like walked around it, and he wasn't far from where I wanted to sit. And then I set up and it got light and I'm like, it disappeared. I'm like, there's nobody there. And come to find out they, someone just stuck one of them sidewalk lights there as another hunter. It's annoying because I feel like you're maybe your intention is just to mark your spot so you can see it. But as a hunter, other hunter to me, I felt I, I I was under the impression they were like trying to keep people away from that area. And that's not, you shouldn't do that. So so for me, um, when I look at that, I'm going to get beyond Josh's. Josh has got a good reason there. I like yeah. it. But let's say it's private land or nobody else has access or nobody's yeah. going to find it. You're going in there, you're putting your scent in there, putting this light there, number one. So you're, you're, I mean, maybe you do it when you're scouting in spring. I don't know if they last that long or whatever. I don't know much about these lights. Yeah. I, and then you're hoping it's still there or not. In the evening. But if you, if it's any time around when you're going to hunt within a month or two, three months, you're pretty much letting that deer know you're coming. Now, number two, if you put a, uh, a camera in the spot you hunt, I can't tell you how many times I have those deer staring at that camera coming in. The first picture is that deer looking at the camera like this, and then you don't see mm-hmm. it again. You know, um, you try to hide the cameras up in a tree so they don't spot them. You think they're not going to spot a light sitting on the ground? Yeah. Good they're going to notice it. They're going to notice it, and they're not going to like it. You got to remember, now, now you get that yard, that light in your yard. Deer walk up and feed right next to it during the night. And you think, yeah. oh, they ain't scared of that. That doesn't bother them. But there's a difference. You're putting it in their bedroom. You're telling them I'm coming after you. You're putting it in the area that is sacred to that deer. It is like uh, if uh, you went outside one day and there's a bear in your front yard, you'd be like, holy crap. Probably take a picture of it. And then you go in your house, you watch it go by, tell your friends and stuff, and then you forget about it. You come home one day and it's sitting in your living room. You're going to take it seriously. Yeah. So is that deer. Yeah. You know, you put a light light in the area it moves in daylight. 
the area it moves in daylight it is paranoid yeah it has a paranoia about it about dying and for a good reason and a deer doesn't get to be six or seven years old and be a target animal by walking up to lights pinned in the ground mm-hmm. just don't in yep. daylight they usually don't even make it a three um all right, all right. rich yes Summer days, do you think moon has uh, something to do with feeding patterns? I do. I do, and I base that on uh, on how I see deer um, patterns as I'm watching them. Um, you can kind of see the shifting of, of uh, activity and timing-wise with the moon phases and stuff. Um, anybody um, that's on here that lives in an area where you can shine, we can shine here. Uh, at least during the summer, has to notice that some nights you can go out and you won't, and you'll see three deer, or all the deer will be bedded. And some nights you'll go out, and other times you'll go out, and there'll be deer everywhere. And what I've noticed is there's a shift, like, like say at six o'clock in the afternoon, I'm seeing deer in daylight, really good. Holy crap, this is nice. You know, yeah. about a week at seven o'clock, and about a week it's eight o'clock, and then I'm not seeing any at six anymore. Then it's nine o'clock or 10 o'clock, you know, maybe it's a two hour shift or something in a week, but you see this shift in timing, you know what I'm saying? And it seems to follow a pattern of the moon, but not necessarily weather seems to affect it, all kinds of things that seem to affect it, but it seems to have more of an effect on these deer during the summer than it does during the fall. I think they become kind of a different animal when they get hard antler. It's kind of like they change a lot. Oh yeah. Yep. yep. That's part of the that's part of the mystique about like in Wisconsin and in uh, some of these other states you can hunt real early in September. Is you still get them on that summer pattern when they move real good in daylight and stuff and walk around like that, you know. Before they yep. get that fall, you know, attitude. Right. It ain't necessarily pressure that does it, it's timing. It's a time of the year when they act like that, whether it's private, public, or whatever. Not to say they don't walk around a lot like a lot more like it's free on on private but there right. still is a timing thing to do with the time of the year that makes them nocturnal and stuff like that yep peyton asks he hunts private land his dad it sounds like they call ourselves weekend warriors because of work they must not have a lot of time during the week and he said time is short to hunt should i push for as many hunts or cut hunts in half for only nights in early season So I think, he, especially if should he, should he, should he, if he only has weekends, should he hunt mornings and evenings is what he's probably asking, right? Yeah. During early season. Uh, I think, um, during early season and, and, you're, he's on only hunt- land and you're on a small yeah. property, I think I would not hunt the mornings, honestly, either that, or I would, I would take up public land hunting in the mornings. I think the damage you're doing in the morning is going to affect your evening hunts and it's going to affect your kill ratio. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, that said, that's what I would do. It's not necessarily what you would do because everybody hunts for different reasons. If you're there to hunt with your dad and just have fun, then you want to hunt more. But if you're there to kill a big buck, if that's your sole goal, Mm -hmm. I would give up the mornings in the early season. Yeah. Lou has a question specifically for Dan. How do I find a buck bedded on a military crest with a northwest wind on a northeast-southwest trending ridge 
with finger ridge going southeast and where do I set up for dropping thermals? <laughs> you want me to send you coordinates? I think he's I, I think he's uh trolling. I think you he's got a little bit too much of the uh coffee today. <laughs> and you popped a tab on him. I don't, I don't know what's going on over there. <laughs> he's thinking too much about it, which that's crazy to think of. Oh, I'll send you the coordinates later, uh, Lou. <laughs> uh, Anthony asked if we're going to have sticks at the expo. Yep, we will. We'll have sticks and stands at the expo. Um, sorry if I didn't get to everybody's questions. A few of them we kind of already asked, uh, or we already answered kind of recently. Um, let's see here. Um, getting to the bottom here. Cody, maybe we'll, we'll stop on this one. He asked, what buck taught you the most valuable lesson you remember to this day? And what did you learn from the experience? And did you get that buck? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, geez, I learned a lot of them over the years. Yeah, I know. It's usually like, like small ones here and there. Um, but just off the top of my head, the one that just pops in immediately. There's probably a better one, but uh, we don't have all day for me to sit here and think, right? So, yeah. When I got the 15 pointer that I, I crawled up on and shot in its bed with the shotgun on my back, I waited two years for that that opportunity. I watched that deer, I stalked that deer, I, I, I wanted to kill that deer in the worst way. I hunted it for two years. And what I finally did was when we had a, a wind shift and that buck didn't leave its bedding. I used some cattails that were in the way where he couldn't smell me because of the wind changing. And I snuck up on my hands and knees to them cattails with the gun strapped to my back. And then I got the gun off my back. I had it bungeed around me. And I jumped up to my knees and the buck was bedded 20 yards from me underneath this log right where he was supposed to be. And his eyes got big and he looked at me and I shot him in his bed. And I remember what dawned on me is if I would have had the um, balls to do it, I could have done that mm -hmm. with a bow during the bow season. I got within 20 yards. Yeah. But I just didn't have the confidence in me. And it was one of those things where it kind of showed me, like, it opened up my eyes to, you can do it. You just have to have the confidence. You have to have the belief. And uh, it's like that with a lot of things in hunting. Mm -hmm. If you don't believe you can do it, you can't. You, you know, um, the reason... Um, guys like myself are really successful is because I always believe in myself. I believe a, I yeah. have a very positive attitude that has more to do with my success than all the tactics we're talking about. The mind is the most powerful thing you have. And that, that deer opened my eyes to that. How about yeah. you? I don't know. If, I'm trying to think of a specific deer, but it was like the, probably like a few years in my hunting life. Like when I got to, like right after college, which would have been 10 years ago now, um, all through high school and college, I was kind of in this mindset and I hung around people that would just throw like a bunch of money at deer hunting. Like they would just, you know, plant all the food plots they could. They would put out, I don't know how much money and corn and stuff, run a bunch of cameras. And like, that's, that was the perspective I had 
when I was younger, I had to be do that to kill big deer, you know? And then like right after high school, obviously, or college, I didn't, there's no way I could have hunted like that, you know? And I started killing deer. Like when I found Dan and the hunting beast, you know, around that time frame too. And that's, that kind of time frame is whenever I, and I killed deer all through high school and college. Like I killed deer, um, using these kind of tactics, but I didn't, I don't know if I wasn't smart enough back then to put it all together or whatever, but, um, you know, I, I think that was the biggest thing for me was like, kind of like, uh, figuring out, uh, that you don't have to spend a bunch of money or own 400 acres to, to kill a big deer. So there's two ways to kill, kill really big deer consistently. One was with a lot of work and one's with a lot of money. Yeah. But both work. Yep. And a lot of us, that's the only option, you know, so let's end it with that one. Thanks everybody for getting on. Sorry if I didn't get to all your questions tonight. Thanks, uh, Dane and down Jersey hunters for joining the membership and we'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Thanks guys.